Thank you very much, Pastor Darren. Can I, can I use this stand? Okay. For everybody's benefit, I'm just going to start my stopwatch so I can keep track of how long I'm going for. Thank you very much. And uh, usually I start uh, a sermon thanking people for, it, for uh, inviting me, giving me the opportunity to share. Um, today, actually, I really want to thank you for the ministry uh, that I've received just sitting there, hearing the worship. Thank you very much, worship team. Um, Joe has been a good friend and mentor over the last couple of years. I've been back in Singapore for about uh, three years now. I was, I've been living overseas, serving different places. I've been back in Singapore about three years, and uh, initially when I came back, I really didn't know uh, anybody because <laughs> I left when I was 19. Um, so I came back to Singapore, and Joe really helped with, with you know, introducing people, getting to know the, the mission scene, and showing me just how things are done. Um, on what, that's on one hand. On the other hand, also just being a great example, a great model, right? Um, so thank you very much for the ministry worship team. Um, the, some of the songs there were just so uh, helpful. And so that's also to, to give you a bit of warning. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult, it's probably the most difficult sermon I've preached, um, not because of the material, but because of just, you know, we got this news on Wednesday, and it's just been such a, a, a roller coaster. Um, couple of, about a month ago, the chairperson of the internet, of the board of the World Outreach International, her husband, complained of some stomach upset uh, for a couple of days, went to the doctor, they thought it was gastric, gave him some gastric medicine. Uh, next day, didn't wake up from, from his sleep. He was 42 years old. Um, about a year, a couple of years ago, uh, there was a guy we were ministering with in Laos. Um, so he is Lao, evangelist there, sharing the gospel and all that. There was one Christmas service. He went out to um, preach at a, at, a, at a church for the Christmas service, evangelistic meeting. So people invited their friends and family, um, non-Christian friends, etc. But there were these two people that nobody knew who they were at the back of the church. Um, he didn't make it back home. A couple of days later, they found his body by the side of the road. Uh, and they thought... they. Nobody, until today, nobody knows what happened to him. But they, uh, they suspected that those two people were actually um, agents from the government. And, you know, they, he had been threatened before to not stop sharing the gospel, stop doing this Christian thing, uh, but he kept going. The incredible thing is about that. So this was December, uh, Christmas time. In February, I met his wife at another conference and she was obviously in this two months after her husband was just killed. Um, she stood up on stage and told everybody at the conference, I will carry on the work uh, that, that my husband was doing and my husband gave his life for. And so similarly, as, as I've been processing through Joe's, uh, Joe's passing, you know, he's just started this, he left YWAM, well, he, you know, he resigned from his position at YWAM, but you know YWAM, right? You, you never really leave. <laughs> um, so he resigned end of last year And this year he's been focusing on Antioch 21, right? Um, and so a few of us have been rallying around him And really following the call um, So Wednesday when we got the news 
Everybody was messaging the group saying, yes, but we will not drop the ball. This is something that Joe started, really Jesus started, God started, but it's, it's something that Joe, you know, has been carrying over the last couple of years in Singapore, but let's carry it and carry on uh, uh, holding this. So some of what I'll be sharing to you, with you today uh, really have been copied from some of the messages I've heard Joe speak, um, because really it's a message of, of what God is doing, not just in our lives, or in our country, but in the world. Um, I have two versions of today's message. Today's message is going to go really long in terms of time, not in terms of preaching time, but in terms of what I'm going to cover. Time-wise, we're going to go all the way back to creation, right? There's another version of the message which maybe I'll get a chance to preach, which goes really big geographically, looking at the universe, right? So today's message is, is, is more about the... Um, it gives us a big picture of what God is doing. But before that, I'm, I serve with World Outreach. Um, you can see the W dots popping up all over the world. So this map, the red dots show unreached people groups around the world. Unreached people groups are people, groups or, or uh, language groups that don't have the gospel yet. And all the dots that where the W is are where we have World Outreach Ministries all around the world. We have about 309 cross-cultural workers, um, 800 national workers. Of these 309 cross-cultural workers, zero are from Singapore. So I'd like to raise some, please. Thank you. <laughs> um, we've got quite a few. Our background, a lot of New Zealanders, um, Australians. I think a month ago, our international director, who's American, um, came and shared. And we've got people from UK, from uh, Philippines, Indonesia, India, all over the place. But for some reason, I don't know why we've got no Singaporeans. Um, me, yeah, yeah, I was. And then I came back to Singapore, so I, I sort of fell off the map. <laughs> Um, so, 309 cross-cultural workers, 800 national workers. We're in about 70 nations, um, and we're reaching into close to 180 unreached people groups. So, these are people that it's not a matter of do they have, uh, have they responded to the gospel. It's a question of do they even have access to the gospel in the first place, right? So, if they woke up in the morning, on Sunday morning, they dreamt about Jesus on Saturday night, they woke up on Sunday morning, and went, hey, I want to find out about this Jesus. Is there a church they can go to in their language, in their culture, where they can hear the gospel? No. One third of the world, till today, 2,000 years after Jesus, don't have that opportunity to hear the gospel. And that's what we are about. Okay? Um, so there we are about evangelizing and discipling unreached people groups. So unreached people groups will, will come out a bit, a bit more obvious, uh, a bit more clearly in the sermon later equipping them to not just evangelize, but to, de to disciple their own and other people's. So we want to reach more unreached people groups. That's what we're about. In 2015, we were working amongst 85 UPGs. Uh, 2020, we were among 150, and we have a goal of 300 by 2025. Um, so we are sort of working towards it. I think it's a bit of a stretch goal, uh, but hey, a goal is a good goal, right? Um, and we need, we need help. We need um, people come aboard, catch this heart, which is what I'm going to share about today. So if any of you are interested in World Outreach, you'd like to be in touch, you'd like to have any information, grab uh, that QR code or put that in. That's a little form. You can give us a bit of your information, what you're interested in, and then we can 
respond to you on that. Okay, so I'll give, uh, leave this up for a minute. Thank you. So this was not done yet. Uh, any of you came to this mission conference at, um, at ACS Barker Road last when? September, just in September. So that's Joe there, uh, and we were on the organizing committee, um, and the, we had about 800 people on the last night uh, from lots of different churches around Singapore, and at the end, Joe's, Joe's, one of his many skills is altar calls. It's incredible. I don't know whether we do that in Anglican church, but Joe did it. And he was Anglican, right? He is Anglican, so clearly you do. <laughs> he's he's um, so good at altar calls. At the end of the third altar call, there was nobody left in the seats. Everybody who was there was on stage. Um, and everybody had either committed to doing one month, three months, six months, or one year, uh, mission sort of, you know, service sometime over the next five years or two years and above um, or come in, you know, to support one of their friends who's doing it. So we had all these people and the big thing is not done yet. We're not done yet. Jesus has been and gone, you know, this first coming was 2,000 years ago. He told us, go make disciples of all nations and uh, we're still on this journey. So this is an invitation to join us on this journey, if you can go back to my slides, thank you very much. And what I'm going to do today is give us this big picture of what in the world is God doing. Okay, so uh, I think I asked, I asked Pastor Darren how much time I have today, and uh, I think the, the fire drill is scheduled for 8 o'clock, so we can go till about then, because we're going to miss your day, God's, God's mission as a movement. We're going to start off at the book ends, okay? The two book ends. If you've seen uh, Lord of the Rings, wow, the age, the humongous universe. And actually, there is such a story in the Bible. And Tolkien took his story from the Bible, really. So the starting book end starts in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The other book end at the end of the story is actually in Revelation 21. Right? It's the second last chapter in the Bible. And then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then it goes on over the next couple of uh, two chapters to describe this new heaven and new earth. But what in the world happened to this first heaven and first earth that was created? Genesis 1.1 which is the heaven and earth that we are living in today. Have you ever thought about that? Okay, the big picture, because every single sermon you will read, you will hear in your life, every single Christian book, every theological position, every Christian or not, you know, philosophy you hear, will fit in this story. And the way we can, one of the lenses we can look at, uh, we can evaluate any teaching we hear is, does it fit within the story? Does it fit within the context of what the Bible is about? And the Bible is about first heaven, first earth, it's going to pass away, and then we're going to have a new heaven and new earth. And so God created the, the heavens and the earth, and sometime after that, again, part of that, this first creation actually were the angels, right? And sometimes after that, one of the angels 
rebelled against God. We all know this story. His name was Lucifer, the most beautiful, etc. And he said, I will ascend above the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. I am not going to listen to God anymore. God is not going to be my king. I am going to be my own king. Right? I'm going to set up a counter kingdom to God's kingdom. And one third of the angels went with him. So God initially created everything, created angels. One of these jokers said, nope, I want to be like God. A third of the angels went with him. There was a counter kingdom set up. Sometime after that, uh, God created humankind. Right? So we know the story, Adam and Eve, etc. So the Lord banished. And then what happened? We all know the story of Adam and Eve. They disobeyed God. Right? So sometimes uh, uh, people have, sometimes my wife asks me, you are, you're so disorganized. Where will you be without me? Say, without you, I'll still be in the garden. <laughs> recommended to not say to your wife. Okay, so Adam and Eve sinned. Then God banished them from the Garden of Eden. Right? So now these, this, these two verses uh, illustrate the two sort of problems. God started everything. Now he's got two problems. One is there was a counter kingdom being, establ- being established against God's kingdom, against God's rule. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is not necessarily a geographical place. It's not necessarily a political entity. A kingdom needs to have a king, right? And anywhere this king's authority, this king is honoured, that is his kingdom. So when we talk about God's kingdom, we're not talking about uh, geographical countries. We're talking about anywhere God's authority is honoured, which is in our hearts. God's kingdom uh, uh, exists. So Lucifer said, I'm not going to follow your kingdom. I'm going to set up my own kingdom. So there was a, 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 a revolution against God's kingdom. And then God created humans, and then humans were now separated from God. So the reason the scripture verses we read was from um, Genesis 10, right? 11, sorry, 11 verses 1 to 9. Actually, I gave the verses, but I can't remember. Okay. Basically, it's the story of the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel forms a a dividing line in the history of humankind. Because before that, we were all one language, one culture, mostly in one location. Everybody was together in one place, and so they said, let's build this tower. And then God said, no, these people are rebelling against me, and so... I'm going to spread out, give them lots of different languages. And then they spread out, right? So this happened probably about 5,000 years ago, plus minus, you know, one or two years. We're not really sure, but roughly then. Because looking at the history of the Chinese civilizations, Indian, um, uh, Egyptian, the oldest civilizations in the world, it goes back about 500 years, uh, 5,000 years. And this is when the Tower of Babel happened, when all these various cultures started and spread out to all the world. Out from, so God created everything. He had these two problems, Genesis 3, and all these, you know, a few different stories. We had Noah, we had Seth, we had you know, a few different ups and downs before Genesis 10 and 11. Genesis 10 and 11, there was a, a watershed, right? Suddenly now we've got all these nations. 70 nations were listed in Genesis 10. Genesis 11 talks about how they, were, they, they came about. Genesis 12. If we want to look at the Bible, you can think of Genesis 1 to 11 as like its introduction. This sets the backdrop 
of how things were, you know, how things came about. Genesis 12 is where the story of the Bible starts. So Genesis 12 verses 2 and 3, out of the 70 nations that came out of the Tower of Babel, God chose one, right? He said, Abraham, go to the land I will show you. So Abraham came from, uh, from Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, his father went a certain way, then he went the rest of the way. And then in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. There are a few lines after that talking about how God is going to bless him. And then all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So through Abraham's family, God was going to then reclaim all the, the families of the earth or reconcile all the families of the earth back to himself through this one family. Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. It's very interesting when Isaac <coughs> um, was born and then we have the story of Isaac and the, and the ram and then the, this, basically the same covenant was repeated. And then Jacob, the same covenant was repeated, which is why in uh, Israel, in Israel, they always talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because this covenant, which was the starting, the, the initial covenant that God established with, with Israel, was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sometime later in Israel's history, so we, this happened probably about 4,000 years ago. Okay, so about 2,000 BC. Uh, we are moving, we've just covered 2,000 years in about five minutes. That's not bad. Sometime later, about 1,200, so we just jumped another 800 years, King David, 2 Samuel 7.16, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Right? So notice when God established, God started, created everything, He had two problems, a kingdom uh, that was, the, you know, a counter kingdom versus His, and then people were separated from God. Through Abraham, God was starting the program to reconcile people back to him, all nations back to him through this nation. Through David, God was going to establish his throne forever. So David's physical throne was not established forever. It was uh, talking about Jesus, about God's throne, God's kingdom uh, being reestablished forever. Verses like Psalm 2.8 Right? Ask of me and I will grant you the nations as your inheritance, etc., etc. And we're like, yes, during mission month, we like to, you know, to, to quote that verse and we sing, ask and I'll give the nations to you, right? But actually, if you read Psalm 2.9, the very next verse, and there's a comma in between, it's not even a, a full stop in between, it's a comma, it says, you will dash them to pieces like pottery, you will rule them with an iron scepter. <laughs> Does that sound like us? No, that's not us. Those verses refer to Jesus. Jesus is going to dash all the kingdoms with an iron scepter. He will rule them uh, like pottery. He will rule them with an iron scepter. And so we have Abraham and David, who are two forefathers uh, with, you know, for, for God's these two programs, um, to reconcile people back to himself and then to reclaim his kingdom. Abraham had a son whose, whose name was? Isaac, right, very good, Isaac. And then Isaac, the story with Isaac was, Isaac was almost sacrificed by the father. What does that remind us of? And then what's the, and there was an animal that was associated with Abraham and Isaac. 
that was a ram, right? That then took the place of Isaac on the sacrifice. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, it's really interesting when you read the Bible and realize there's so much depth in the foretelling of what's to come. And then we look at David. David had a son whose name was Solomon, who ruled over the greatest uh, that king, uh, Israel had ever been, the greatest uh, extent of the kingdom of Israel ever. After, after Solomon, everything fell apart. The kingdom you know, uh, was, was split into two, etc. So Solomon, um, the son of David, ruled over the greatest, the most glorious Israel ever. They both came from the tribe of Judah, and the animal associated with that tribe is the lion, the lion of Judah, king of the jungle, right? Um, signifying the kingly restoration of God's kingdom. So we've got Abraham and Isaac, and then we're going to jump 1,200 years <laughs> into the very first verse of the New Testament. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'll scroll to it shortly. The very first verse of the New Testament, you could read it as, as it's, it's coincidental, or maybe there was a meaning behind it. Verse, very first verse, Matthew 1, 1 says, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Jesus was going to be the, 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 the person that will bring these two programs together, reconciling of uh, humankind back to God, as well as the reestablishment of God's kingdom over the counter kingdoms. Jesus had a, a, a job description, if you like, that was written down maybe 600 years uh, before he turned up. And this was um, probably the most important job description ever in, in, his, in history. Isaiah 49, 6, it starts off saying what is not enough in this job description, right? It is too small a thing. It's not enough if you just do this, huh? <laughs> it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob because that's what the Israelites want, wanted. They wanted a Messiah who will restore Israel, right? And bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So Jesus' uh, job description was very much towards the whole world. So Jesus' first coming, when He first came, uh, now we're at 0 AD, so we've done 6,000 years ago, 4,000 BC, when everything was, you know, Adam and Eve, everything was created, about 5,000, about, what is it, 4,000 BC, 3,000 BC, Tower of Babel, roughly. Um, 2000 BC, roughly, Abraham. About 1200 BC, uh, David. And then we come to 0 AD where Jesus was born. Um, and Jesus' is quite interesting. If you look at Jesus' life, his ministry, we tend to focus on his ministry to the Israelites, but actually there was a lot of miracles, a lot of ministry he did among Gentiles as well. Uh, the centurion, the Samaritan woman, um, there was the other Samaritan woman who came and said, hey, please give me uh, uh, some bread from the, the, the crumbs that fall off the table. Um, the feeding of 5,000 versus the feeding of 4,000 uh, across the Galilee. So Jesus actually performed a lot of miracles among Gentiles as well. 
And then Jesus' favorite name for himself. People, the Israelites usually referred to him as son of David, right? Or son of Abraham, son of God, depending on what they wanted to, to emphasize. But Jesus always referred to himself as bin Adam, son of man, son of mankind. If you look, uh, you read through, whenever Jesus referred to himself, he refers to himself as son of man. And so identifying with uh, all of, of mankind rather than that's just Israel. And before Jesus, we know the, whole, the, the rest of Jesus' story, you don't have to go into that. Before returning to heaven, He gave us the commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, etc. And so this, anytime we have a mission sermon, this verse is going to come out, right? Because that's what Jesus told us. So on one hand, we do missions because the Bible says so. So the Bible is the basis for missions, right? No argument about that. If we flip it around, okay, let's flip that. The Bible, the Bible is the basis for missions. But let's flip that around. If God didn't have a mission of reconciling people back to Himself, would He have had to write a Bible? If humankind didn't sin, Lucifer didn't set up a counter-kingdom, if God didn't have miss your day, right, of reclaiming his kingdom, reconciling humans, would he have had to write a Bible? No. So the other way is also true that the Bible, the missions is the basis for the Bible. Right? If there was no missions, God did not, would not have had to write the Bible. So the fact that God wrote the Bible, God put the Bible together, was because he had a mission. And so that influences the way we read the Bible. Because any text we read, we need to find out, we need to look at the, the intent of the author, right? And so if the Bible, is the, if missions is the basis for the Bible, then this is the sort of overarching chronology that we then get. That through the Bible, through human history, God is reconciling people to Himself. Oh, to Himself. Okay, so first coming. Then there's going to be a second coming, which is, which is good. And we know that in the second coming, you know, most of it is Revelation. So the Bible does this huge jump, right? From end of the book of Acts into Revelation, and it goes, and then I look before me, great multitude, every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so we know how the story ends. But what is this in-between period? Right? So from there, from Revelation 7-9, then we, we carry on to the end of uh, the bookend that we looked at just now, Revelation 21. And then there'll be a new heaven, a new earth. But what happens in between the first and second coming? Interim period. And Jesus told us that as well. Gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come, Matthew 24, 14. So the return of Jesus is not some timetable, it's not some date on the calendar. Uh, and a lot of people have tried to predict the date, right? They sell everything, go wait on a hill. And then... And then they still wait. And then they're waiting, and then they're like, hey, heavenly, your, is your watch okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, what in the world? So, but actually, the Bible does tell us clearly when Jesus is going to come back, but it's not a timetable. It's a task table. When this gospel is preached in all the world, to all nations, then the end will come. And then, so this was about 0 A.D., 33 AD, right? Because Jesus lived 33 years. Beyond that, the first 500 years after that, 
So we've got 2,000 more years to go, and I've got 13 more minutes <laughs> to cover 2,000 years. With the history we've had, with the record we've had, I think can. Okay, so the first 500 years of Christian history since Jesus, right? We know about it was the Roman Empire during the time of the Roman Empire. And Christianity spread all over the Roman Empire, around the Mediterranean, uh, Northern Africa, Southern Europe. And during that time, the, the Roman Empire was getting weaker. And the barbarians were attacking. The barbarians, we call them barbarians for back in the day, but today they are the French and the Germans. So I don't know how happy they'll be called. <laughs> they'll be being called barbarians. The Franks, the Gauls, all these tribes were invading Rome and then taking people back as slaves. But a lot of the people that took, they took back as slaves were Christian. And then they started to share, to share the gospel as slaves in, uh, in Germania, in, in what's you know, current-day uh, current France. And so the first 500 years was rapid expansion through the Roman Empire and uh, Central Europe. Between 500 to 1,500, so there, I'm just, I just jumped... 1,500 years. Um, consolidation. So during that time, during the first 500 years, one of the things that happened is because Christianity grew so quickly, uh, it was made the, the official religion of Rome, right? Christianity, when we first started reading the Bible, there was so much persecution from the Romans, from the other Jews. Emperor Nero was, was killing Christians, you know, right, left, center. But after about 300 years, uh, Emperor Augustine made Christ Christianity the official religion of Rome. And then came a whole, uh, lots of things came out from there. But one of the things that happened is it became very, a little bit politicized, where the church and the state started to, to get a little bit mixed, right? Power struggles, etc. Um, so over this next thousand years, there was a lot of consolidation because there were great writings. All these um, writers, uh, church fathers that we talk about, Irenaeus, Oregon, uh, Francis of Assisi, were all about this time where theology was being formed. There was all this consolidation of the church in Europe. At the same time, the church went off to, there were some missionary movements, but not very much, went off to uh, the Celtics, took the gospel you know, back to, to UK, what is currently UK, a lot of them came back into Europe as well, Northern Europe. So over this, this thousand-year period, gospel spread around Northern Europe, but didn't go that much beyond that. Around the 1500s, we had the Reformation, right? So the Anglican Church was born, hallelujah, split from the Catholic Church. But for the first maybe 200 years after the Reformation, there wasn't that much missions happening until a guy named William Carey, who was, I'm sorry guys, he was a Baptist. <laughs> um, and he read the Bible and went, hang on a minute, there's all these verses in the Bible that actually are telling us to take the gospel to, he called us then, the heathen. And back then in Singapore, China, a lot of us came from, you know, from China, Singapore, India, whatever. We were all heathens to him. About 1792, he left. He wrote this booklet, sent it all around. That was the first Protestant mission movement started about then. William Carey was the first missionary sent out. Um, and that started a whole raft of missionaries sent out to the coastlands of Asia, Africa, Latin America. Um, and because the coastlands, because that's where all the trading posts were, that's where they're setting up, uh, you know, it's easier to get to. 
And during this time, the average lifespan of a missionary on the field was two years. So, young people, think about this. If I'm going to go, okay, I give my life to Christ. I'm going to go on missions, right? I'll serve God for the next 30 years of ministry. Okay, worth it. But now let's change the number. I'm going to give my life. I could be here doing whatever, but I'm going to go to missions, serve God in missions. It's what God's called me to do. I'll probably die in two years from disease, from getting killed, from, you know, whatever it is. Um, but they still went in the hundreds and in the thousands. And we know the story of the, the practice back then is the missionaries would pack all their belongings in a coffin, right? And then they'll take a ship to wherever they go. And back then, no Air Asia, everyone can fly, right? So once they go, it's a six-week uh, sailing journey or whatever it is, and they're not going to come home because it's just too expensive. When they die, their body gets put back, their, their body is in the, uh, gets put back in that coffin that they brought with them, and then the body comes back home. And that was the mindset of the missionaries back in uh, that era. Sometime after that, about the 1865, about 1865, so, I mean, these dates are rough dates. 1865 marks the start of um, Hudson Taylor's ministry. But he was one of the pioneers that, that, that he arrived on the coastlands, and he went, hey, there are all these people in the inland regions who don't have the gospel. We're all gathered around the coastlands. The people further inland in the gospel as well. So William Carey learned the language, learned the Chinese culture, and started to take the gospel inland into China. So he started his ministry called China Inland Mission. Very creative naming. Um, and today it's called OMF, Overseas Missionary Fellowship, which is still among us today. So Hudson Taylor in this second, uh, and there's a whole move of missionaries who started taking the gospel inland. Sometime after that, there were these two guys, Donald McGavern and, 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 and Cameron Townsend. One was in Guatemala, one was in, was in India. Um, and they realized that just because they're among these people group and they're sharing the gospel, it doesn't mean that people, as long, it doesn't mean that people within that geographical area could receive the gospel. Because in India, there was this problem of the caste system. If you had people of one caste in your church, people of other castes, lower castes or higher, it doesn't matter whether lower or higher, people of other castes would not feel welcome in that church. It would not be able to receive the gospel from them. Uh, Cameron Townsend in, in, sorry, Donald McGavern in Guatemala went there and started preaching in Spanish and realized that there all these tribal people who did not speak Spanish. And so he realized that, you know, there's all these, uh, we need to learn the hearts, the heart language of the tribal peoples. And so this 1934 was when uh, the Wycliffe Bible Translators was, was started. Actually, World Outreach started in 1932. Never mind, side, side, side point. Um, so Wycliffe Bible Translators started then because they realized that we can't have the gospel go out in just the main trade languages. There are all these small hidden people, people groups that needed the gospel. And so that was the, the first time we realized that uh, the dynamic of people groups. And then we have from then till today, there are a bunch of things happening in the Christian world. Um, one, of the, one of the dynamics is we've, we're now everywhere to everywhere. It's no more west to east, north to south. 
everywhere to everywhere. In world outreach, probably about 70% of our personnel come from India, Thailand, Indonesia, Philippines, which are all traditionally missionary receiving countries. But now they are sending out more missionaries than uh, the Western countries. Singapore should be in that number. Actually, Singapore is in the number, okay? So it's just world outreach. I don't know why, I, maybe it's my fault. No, I have only been in world outreach Singapore for the last two years, so not my fault. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, in the 90s and 2000s, Singapore was the top missionary sending country in the world per capita. Isn't that amazing? Our little country. We were the only country in the world where we sent out more missionaries than we had churches. That means averagely every church sent out at least one missionary. And some churches, you know, some of the churches even today are like 30, 50 people. Uh, and so maybe the smaller ones don't have a missionary. So the bigger ones have two, three, four missionaries. Um, and so Singapore has been doing a pretty good job. But in the 2010s up to 2019, the numbers dropped. In about 2000, Singapore had close to 1,000 missionaries out in the field. By 2019, there was a survey done. Um, we've got about less than 500 missionaries, long-term missionaries in the field in 20, as of 2019. So the whole idea of Antioch 21, what Joe's been involved with, what you know, we've been doing, is we are re, resounding this call for Christians in Singapore to answer the call to missions. And... We're not talking about, hey, missions, you know, uh, 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 Matthew 28, blah, blah, blah. Missions, Genesis 3. You know, we're talking, it starts all the way from what God is doing through the history of the world, reclaiming His kingdom and restoring humankind to Himself. It's our time now. So how Mission Day, how God's mission grows? Really simple, three ways, okay? So, Everything we do in church should fit into one of these three ways because we are not, we haven't become Christians or part of a church so that we can be part of a social club, right? Anybody who becomes a Christian is now, joins this movement. And so the movement that started all the way back in, you know, Genesis, carrying on today, carrying on all the way into Revelations. So three ways, simple ways that Michio Day grows. And sometimes... It's probably the simplicity of it that's the genius of it. So number one is winning new subjects for the kingdom. Remember just now I said, what's the kingdom? Kingdom is anybody who honours and respects God's authority. Right? So how do we do that, winning new subjects for the kingdom among, from those who are close to us? When we go to work, when we go to school, when we hang out, social clubs, whatever it is, uh, we have a fancy new term for it. It's called evangelism. <laughs> Right? Evangelism within our culture. That's one of the ways God's kingdom grows. Secondly, to extend God's kingdom, God's rule, God's influence, God's honour, wherever we have influence. So we've heard about these seven spheres of society, all of us are in work, we've got influence in different, different places, and this is where it fits. Anywhere we have the opportunity, and I'm not saying we should strive and go and They'll fight to get into these positions of authority because it can be fraught. A bit like Joseph, when he found himself, oh, you know, wherever he found himself, with the influence that he had, he made decisions, he made recommendations that were honouring to God. And so when we do uh, discipleship class, 
It's really for us to learn to grow, to learn how to make decisions that honour God in every, you know, everywhere we go, in every sphere that we, we find ourselves, whether it's school, whether it's work, etc. Thirdly, okay, so let's, let's, so these two happen where we are, right? Evangelism and then extending God's kingdom wherever we are through the decisions that we make, through the influence that we have. There are nations, which we've talked about unreached people groups, people groups where there are no Christians who do this. There are no Christians who win other Christians, win new subjects for the kingdom. There are no Christians who can make, who can extend God's kingdom through making these, uh, through their influence. And so in these people groups, in these nations, every time you see the word nation in the Bible, disciples of all nations, God will bless you, through you bless all the nations of the earth. The word nations comes from the Greek word ethne, right? So nation is not actually a very good trans- English translation of it. Ethne is where we get our word ethnic, right? So it's actually talking about uh, 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 cult- linguistic, cultural, cultural linguistic people groups. You look at a lot of the polit- political problems around the world today, it's because there has already been uh, divisions of cultural, linguistic cultural groups. In Myanmar, there are all these different uh, uh, tribal groups. But what we've done is overlay this political map that very often doesn't take into account the cultural realities. And then you get civil wars. Because the actual reality of people, of our self-identity, is along our linguistic cultural grouping, not necessarily our nationalistic grouping. So, we need to win new subjects for the kingdom from people groups where there aren't any current subjects. So this is where cross-cultural missions comes in. Right? The, the church has a role in winning new subjects for the kingdom around us. The church has a role in extending God's kingdom wherever we have influence around us. The church also has uh, a role in winning new subjects for the kingdom among pe- people groups where there aren't already subjects, where there are no subjects. And this is when we talk about missions. So we talked, we've got a church plant in Bandung, which is wonderful. Bandung is a geographical place. Right? There's a, there's a, you've got a church there, which is, which is amazing. Praise God. Indonesia uh, has 239 people groups. We think of Indonesia as a country, one country. But it actually has 239 people groups. This church in Bandung, in the Bandung area, so we'll reach some missionaries there too. There is a people group there called the Sundanese people. 38 million people, 0.05% Christian. Right? So in one lens, we go, hey, we've got a church in Bandung. Who are they reaching? So the next question then would be, who are they reaching out to? Because if they're reaching out to Indonesian Muslims, uh, sorry, Indonesian Chinese people, or just straight Indonesians, right, Javanese, actually there are quite a few Javanese churches and they're not unreached people group. But there is this Sundanese people group, 38 million, 0.05% Christian. Are we able to get the gospel into that group so that they can do one and two for themselves? Win more people from their people group and then extend God's kingdom within their people group. 
So, just to finish what I've shared today, just to wrap the whole thing up, we've talked about how the kingdom of God, Missio Day, when we talk about God's mission, right? Hopefully today gives us a bit of an understanding of the big picture of what God's mission is. From through the times that we've talked about, every political government, every empire in history has come and gone. Um, the Syrians come and gone. The Greeks, right? Sparta, 300, whatever, come and gone. The Persians that were fighting the Greeks come and gone. The Roman Empire, such a great, powerful empire. Where are they today? I mean, Italy makes nice sports cars, but that's about it, right? Um, the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, the Ottoman Empire, all these human empires have come and gone. But Mishio Day, the Church of Jesus Christ, is still here today, is still growing. Church of Jesus Christ today has 2 billion people all, all over the world. So, for us as individuals, what are we living for? For our lives, would we live our lives with these three uh, 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 things in mind? We are growing God's kingdom. This is what we are involved with. And let's not get distracted by the things of the, the other kingdoms we see around us. These, all these counter kingdoms we see around us that distract us from what God is doing and has been doing all through history. So thank you very much for your time. Um, let us pray. Father, you are, when we say Alpha and Omega, Lord, hopefully today gives us a, a different view of Alpha and Omega. You started everything. You were... You know, you are the, before time, Lord, you created time. And through time, you've had these uh, missions that you've been involved with, these missions that you are to reconcile people back to, himself, to yourself, Lord, and to reclaim your kingdom, to reestablish your kingdom. Lord, we see the faithfulness of your hand at work all through history, through every Every part of history, Lord, over the last 6,000 years of human history, your kingdom keeps moving forward. And Lord, I just pray that even as <clears throat> we've spoken about it today, that even as we go back to our week, Lord, we will be distracted. Lord, there'll be all these other things which are flashier, louder, uh, more in our face. All these things that draw us away from what you are calling us to live for. And so, Lord, I just pray that even as we leave from here, that your Holy Spirit will continue to work in our hearts. Lord, the words I speak sure have come from your word. But, Lord, uh, uh, I just pray that you will take these words and quicken it to the hearts of everyone who's here. Lord, uh, otherwise, my words are just you know, sound waves. <laughs> so, thank you, Lord, that you are amazing and we want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.